Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid and the rest of you. Let's go back and think about our teenage years when we went to the sock hop at the junior high or the teen center. But imagine what it would be like to return to that special place 60 years later. I started out in my 50s here on the council and then I became vice president and not thinking that one day I would be the director here. I never didn't even dawn on me. I just figured the person who was here before me would stay. Sandy Buller is the director of a local senior citizen center. We'll be talking with Sandy in a few minutes. Then we'll go to a nurse who has seen a big change in rural health in the past 30 years. I didn't judge them because I had, like I said, I had not worked in a in a small rural area in a long time, but had mainly been in a city hospital. That's nurse Sharon Lawless who left a big city for a rural area in the 90s. Then comes our movie review. No, it's not a current movie, but one you might have seen as a kid. And I want you to paint this name on the nose of your ship, Leper Colony, because in it you're going to get every dead beat in the outfit. That's Gregory Peck as Brigadier General Frank Savage from the 1949 film 12 O'Clock High. And we'll cover unhealthy habits some of us have learned through COVID. And uh, we'll learn about long COVID and what it can do to your brain. Then we'll examine a survey that shows half of the women in the U.S. are struggling financially. And apparently Americans want Congress to address family caregiving problems as well. And a lack of health care workers worldwide has led to excess deaths. Later we'll talk with Beverly Schofstall of Free Again Wildlife Rehabilitation. The news is next. Boomer News from OK Boomer. I'm Robert Rickman. According to a recent AARP poll, voters across the country want Congress to address family caregiving issues. This is especially true for those aged 50 and older. Over two-thirds of voters and 75% of voters 50-plus say it is very important for Congress to help seniors live in their own homes. More than half say the same for supporting unpaid family caregivers. An overwhelming majority of voters, 78%, are either a current, past, or future family caregiver. Over 70% of voters across the political spectrum say they would be more likely to support a candidate who backed proposals to support family caregivers, such as tax credits, paid family leave, and more support, and respite services. And somewhat connected with this, health worker shortages are strongly linked to excess deaths, especially from neglected tropical diseases and malaria, maternal and neonatal disorders, diabetes, and kidney diseases. This from the British Medical Association and recently published in the BMJ Medical Journal. Shortages of health workers such as doctors, nurses, and midwifery staff are strongly associated with higher death rates, especially for certain diseases such as neglected tropical diseases and malaria, pregnancy and birth complications, diabetes, and kidney diseases. The fines are from an analysis of 172 countries and territories. Now, the results show that although inequities in health workforces have been decreasing globally over the past 30 years, they continue to have a substantial impact on death rates globally. And researchers say targeted action is needed to boost health workforces in these priority areas. Now, the term Human Resources for Health, that's HRH, refers to a range of occupations including doctors, nurses, midwives, dentists, and other allied professionals and support functions designed to promote or improve health. This workforce is key to achieving the goal of universal health coverage by 2030. Although several studies have analyzed the relation between HRH density and deaths, studies on inequities in total and specific HRH types and relations with specific causes of death from a global perspective are scarce. And now on to the disease we're all tired of hearing about (laughs) and contracting. Millions of people who have had COVID-19 continue to experience symptoms or develop new symptoms for weeks, months, or years after they were first infected. These symptoms are commonly known as long COVID, and the direct causes of long COVID are not currently known. And a study supported by the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke and the National Institute on Deafness and Other Communication Disorders, researchers looked at the effects of SARS-CoV-2 infection 
in uh, animal models to understand potential causes of long COVID. Their findings suggest that in addition to causing long-lasting organ damage, SARS-CoV-2 can set off a pattern of brain inflammation that may be linked to long COVID symptoms. Researchers used hamsters as models for SARS-CoV-2 infection since their infection duration and symptoms are similar to those of human. Researchers used hamsters as models for SARS-CoV-2 infection since their infection duration and symptoms are similar to those of humans. The researchers compared these models to hamster models of influenza infection, which produces a similar antiviral response. Now, researchers learned on average the animal models recovered from SARS-CoV-2 infections in two weeks, the same as humans, and developed similar symptoms. This told the researchers that the models were an appropriate comparison to the human immune response. When compared to the influenza models, models that recovered from SARS-CoV-2 infection had greater levels of lung and kidney damage, and the damage healed more slowly. Additionally, the researchers found inflammation around the part of the brain involved in smell. The region remained inflamed even weeks after the infection was gone. This suggests that the immune system remained activated in the brain without the virus present, causing brain tissue to change. The inflamed area of the brain, called the olfactory bulb, also influences emotions and learning. The researchers also found inflammation in the olfactory bulb when studied brain tissue from people who previously had COVID-19 and died of other causes. The study provides more evidence for the theory that some long COVID symptoms such as mood changes, dizziness, and brain fog may be caused by brain inflammation triggered by, but not directly fighting, SARS-CoV-2. Future research can use the same kind of model to look at potential treatments for that inflammation as well as treatments for the long-lasting damage done to other organs. And that's the latest on long COVID. More than three-quarters of Americans have resorted to unhealthy coping habits to deal with mental health issues. Of those, 45% did so after the failure of prescribed medication. These results are reported in a new GeneSight Mental Health Monitor survey from Myriad Genetics. The review found that 77% of respondents engaged in binge eating, drug use, gambling, social media activity, or other addictive or unhealthy coping mechanisms to deal with mental health problems. In addition, 94% of those surveyed know those actions are unhealthy. The problem is deemed so acute that government spending to treat mental illness has almost doubled. The Biden administration's 2023 budget includes $4.6 billion for the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration. The National Institutes of Mental Health estimates that about 20% of Americans, or 57.8, live with a mental illness. Those illnesses can range from mild to severe. In addition, a CNN Kaiser Health poll released in October found that 90% of Americans feel the country is facing a mental health crisis. And here's something that could cause mental illness. Uh, this comes from two surveys of women aged 25 and older commissioned by the National Council on Aging and Women's Institute for Secure Retirement. They find that half of American women are struggling financially today, making it very difficult to plan for a secure retirement. Across demographic and party lines, women expressed strong bipartisan support for federal policy solutions that could help. What Women Say, Insights and Policy Solutions for Lifelong Financial Security, asked women what they think about their financial situation now and how they feel about their future retirement. The two online surveys conducted by the bipartisan team of public opinion strategies and Lake Research Partners also explored women's support for 13 potential policy solutions. Women are relying on bedrock programs like Social Security when it comes to their future. This from Cindy Hounsell, wiser president. She added, we must protect and improve these programs to ensure they are financially prepared for a longer retirement. Some of the key findings, just over half of women 25 and older said they do not consider themselves financially secure. Top concerns are the cost of housing, Social Security and Medicare being cut, not having enough savings to retire, and outliving savings in retirement. Also, nearly half reported not having an employer-sponsored retirement plan. And three in four low-income women by ethnicity reported having no emergency savings. 
Also, nearly two-thirds of low-income women say they are not confident they have the information they need to be able to plan and save a retirement. And most women say they are worried and uncertain when thinking about retirement. And a third of low-income women are, quote-unquote, terrified. The survey also asked women to express their level of support for 13 potential policy solutions that could help. 90% of women supported eight of these solutions. They included making the cost of living adjustment for Social Security benefits more accurately, reflect the cost of housing and health, provide a tax break to family caregivers to help cover out-of-pocket costs of providing care to seriously ill-disabled or elderly loved ones, raise the minimum Social Security benefit to above the federal poverty level, improve access to the Supplemental Social Security Income Program, which provides monthly benefits to people with limited income and resources who are disabled, blind, or 65 and older. Also provide educational programs to middle-aged and older adults on how to save for retirement and make the most of their Social Security benefits. Six, create a new government-provided retirement plan that would allow workers whose employers do not currently provide a retirement plan to set aside their savings tax-free until they retire and start withdrawing funds from the account. Seven, provide government assistance to lower-income older adults to help pay for basic needs such as food, housing, and transportation. And finally, create a new government program that provides up to 12 weeks of paid leave to workers who need to leave work to care for a seriously ill family member. Up next, the AARP Minute. A new COVID-19 Omicron variant known as Arcturus is spreading across the U.S. The strain makes up about 12% of new cases, according to data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Conjunctivitis, or pink eye, is a possible symptom in people infected with the variant, especially children. New infections from the variant may surge in the coming months and make it the dominant strain by summer, according to experts from the Mayo Clinic. May features milestone birthdays for several celebrities. Singer Thelma Houston turns 80 on May 7th. Former James Bond actor Pierce Brosnan will be 70 on the 16th. Author and actress Joan Collins will celebrate her 90th birthday on the 23rd. Two days later, actor Mike Myers turns 60. That's your AARP Minute. And now we once again talk with Boomer Beverly Schofstall of Free Again Wildlife Rehabilitation, which is located in the country near Carterville and Heron. Spring is the busy season for Beverly, but she is not without help. Uh... I have a lot of volunteers, so I don't have to do it all. Uh, but yes, there is uh, quite a bit of movement that goes on around here. Yeah. And how many hours do you put in? You mentioned uh, before we started the interview, you put in a lot of hours. This time of year is the busy season. So we are putting in, it's a pretty well between a 12 and 18 hour day. Uh, in the winter, uh, you know, I get by with a normal eight hour day. But in the summer, spring and summer, we're out here um, pretty almost around the clock sometimes. Well, that's a lot of time spent. What made you decide to do this type of work? Because it, it, during certain times of the year, you're working all the time, it sounds like. Well, my background is a, was as a vet, veterinary technician. and uh, But I grew up on a farm, uh, a farm that had a lot of woodland around it up in southern Minnesota and so listening to the birds and knowing what was going on out in the woods was just as much a part of it as it was uh, you know feeding the livestock so I've always had an interest in in the outdoors uh, so as a vet tech when people would randomly drop off an animal that they had found well the veterinarians they had a job with paying clients so they didn't have time for it so some of those little animals came home with me uh and okay the, boomer it just once i realized that there was actually a process a legal process and i got involved in that um uh, i started doing the rehab wildlife rehab uh, on a part-time basis and when it became more than a part-time then i actually quit my paying job to do this full-time and this was, you were working as a tech for a veterinarian? As a vet tech, yes. What brought you down to Southern Illinois? Originally, it was my husband's job. Uh, he had an opportunity to sell a product to the coal mines that was uh, going to be kind of revolutionary for on-site repair of 
uh, some rubberized belts uh, in the coal mines. Uh, unfortunately, uh, about six months after we moved down here, the coal mines all went on strike and we didn't get rich on that project, no. but it brought us to Southern Illinois. And uh, we originally, in the, uh, for three years, had been living in uh, right outside of Chicago. So being a Minnesota girl, this habitat, this environment, was much more like moving back home to Minnesota than it was the area we were living in. So I was pleased to stay here. Beverly Softstall of Free Again Wildlife Rehabilitation near Heron in Southern Illinois. Now Free Again is the largest and only species facility in Southern Illinois. Now Southern Illinois, for you people who uh, are not from this area, is where the Mississippi and Ohio's rivers join together. Volunteers provide nursing and hospital care to distressed wildlife. And if you'd like to volunteer, call 618-988-1067. That's 618-988-1067. Or check out freeagainwildlife.org. That's all together, freeagainwildlife and then .org. Now let's stay in this region, southern Illinois, where the Mississippi's and Ohio rivers come together and talk to somebody who is uh, a nurse. She came to this region 30 years ago, and she's seen a big difference in health care. Her name is Nurse, nurse Sharon Lawless. Okay, you're going to compare health care in a rural area 30 years ago as opposed to today. Yes, yes. My name is Sharon. I'm a registered nurse. I have been for... Oh, graduated from a school in northern Illinois a long time ago and I originally uh, worked in northern Illinois and then me and my husband moved to southern Illinois in 93. In 93 when I came out of uh, a big city hospital I was working in a cancer unit and to come down here first of all um, I took a $6 an hour cut in wages. Uh, second of all, I had worked in a 45-bed cancer unit in the city. And when I came down here, um, I went to a class on chemotherapy. And I sat there, and one, one of the instructors said, well, why are you in this class? You don't need this schooling for your job and I said to him I said well I just want to know what cancer treatment was in southern Illinois and um, because when I first came down here I was used to working in the, like I said in the big city hospitals I was wor used to working with central lines um, and even to work in that unit I had to go to a special classes for three months just to learn how to safely give chemotherapy and when i came here um i won't mention any names because <laughs> they might come come back to haunt me uh, but um uh, some of the nurses uh, they they would be like a charge nurse and a nun and uh they were not using any protective equipment at all, and they were using a straight line right into a regular vein instead of a central line. And um, so I kind of sat back and looked, and, and I didn't judge them because I had, like I said, I had not worked in a in a small rural area in a long time. It had mainly been in a city hospital. But your impression was that uh, what they were doing was at least old-fashioned? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, very old-fashioned. <laughs> uh, looking at w what it was like 30 years ago and what it is like now, what do you see? A vast improvement. And what has caused the vast improvement? Uh, probably several things. I'm not entirely certain, but... Um, Always before, uh, there were all independent little small hospitals, and then they kind of collaborated, uh, and I won't mention any names either, which, which helped financially to bring um, uh, your specialists into this area. And, um, and then eventually you had the, the cancer uh, center developed, and uh, now a person can go for their chemo, 
they don't have to go to St. Louis anymore. They they can just go over to the cancer center and uh, they can be treated there. Now, some people still choose to go to St. Louis, which is fine, but you know that's, that's what, at least 100, 150 miles from here. And it also means uh, not only traveling, but also the expense of a big city hospital. Uh, where the cancer center now, like I said, it's 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 just a, a great thing that's happened in in the medical field. So what you're saying is that there's been a considerable improvement in medical care in this rural region. Yes, yes, definitely. What about the disadvantages? You mentioned that there were some disadvantages. Are they minor or are they major? Uh, some of the disadvantages are uh, has to do with our Medicare and our insurances. Our secondary insurances and uh, it's really really sad because like I said years ago if you didn't have insurance and I saw patients that they would go to the emergency room just to be treated for a minor thing and now and now the good thing is that we do have uh, some a small community where just called urgent care but for the older person Medicare, finally, they put your Medicare and your insurance, your secondary insurance, together, and they're calling it Medicare Advantage, which I recently just myself had a minor procedure done with a dermatologist. If I had not had Medicare Advantage, that procedure would have cost me over $700. It cost me $42, and I had a specialist doing the procedure, and it was done right here in Carbondale. And that's Sharon Lawless, and Sharon is a registered nurse out of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I'm sorry, Murfreesboro, Illinois. Keep forgetting, I spent 22 years living in Tennessee in the Nashville area, and sometimes what I do is I mispronounce Murfreesboro. I call it Murfreesboro because I work there. Anyway, uh, I started out here in Southern Illinois in 1970, and uh, I didn't have any problems uh, pronouncing the name Murfreesboro. And then I moved away and came back in uh, 2020, and I still have occasional problems, especially if I haven't had enough coffee, and we'll have that in a few minutes. But first, Roger Ramjet. You know, I've sometimes wondered if songwriters worked radio into the lyrics with the idea that song might get more airplay on the radio. In this case, though, I doubt that's what Giorgio Moroder and Donna Summer were thinking, because Summer was very popular at the time. On the Radio was her eighth song in a row to make the top five on the Hot 100 chart. On the Hot 100, it peaked at number five. It was also a number nine R&B hit and a number 26 adult contemporary hit. It was her 14th hit in a row on the disco chart, but disco was fading fast and summer would soon move on from disco as well. On the Radio is the second of three favorites from Donna Summer, out of a total of 16 songs on my playlist, which doesn't include her duet with Barbara Streisand, which is also on the playlist. This song was originally written as an instrumental track for a low-budget movie called Foxes. The lyrics were added later. The song got a Grammy nomination for Best Female Pop Vocal Performance, but lost to Bette Midler's The Rose. And personally, I would have picked Donna's song over Bet's, but I don't get to vote. There are three versions of the song, the single version, about four minutes long, the long version from the Greatest Hits album, and the 12-inch DJ promo single at seven and a half minutes in length. R-R-P! Here's Donna Summer from 1980 and on the radio. Summer found the lady, you wrote me on the radio. 
Radio out of the past 1980. Donna Summer on the radio, courtesy of the Jets. Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid, time to get up. Oh, man, is it hurting? I'm getting old and taking a walk. Uh, and we're going to go to that special room, another special room here at WDBX. Let's open the door and hear what we're going to hear. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the WDBX Polka Hour. Yes, we need more polka music in the world, so the station is dedicated to that. And they're joyfully playing and drinking their coffee. Polka time. Yep, time to get some coffee, folks. And that's it. How'd you like that, folks? Let's continue our walk to the coffee machine. There we go. Let's get it going. Cup of Joe with Robert. And a cup of tea with Carrie. These are from a book called Disorder in the Courts. I'll play the attorney. What was the first thing your husband said to you that morning? He said, where am I, Kathy? And why did that upset you? My name is Susan. What gear were you in at the moment of the impact? Uh, Gucci sweats and Reeboks. This myasthenia gravis, does it affect your memory at all? Yes. And what ways does it affect your memory? I forget. You forget? Can you give us an example of something you forgot? Now, Doctor, isn't it true that when a person dies in his sleep, he doesn't know it uh, until he is awake next morning? Did you actually pass the bar exam? The youngest son, the 20-year-old. How old is he? He's 20, much like your IQ. Were you present when your picture was taken? Are you f***ing me? How was your first marriage terminated? By death. And by whose death was it terminated? Take a guess. Doctor, how many autopsies have you performed on dead people? All of them. The live ones put up too much of a fight. All your responses must be oral, okay? What school did you go to? Oral. Do you recall the time that you examined the body? The autopsy started around 8.30 p.m. And Mr. Denton was dead at the time? If not, he was by the time I finished. Are you qualified to give a urine sample? Are you qualified to ask that question? Have that with your cup of tea with Carrie. And have that with your cup of Joe with Robert. everybody it's the white raven from the hot 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 louisiana gumbo pot right here on wdbx sundays 12 to 2 join me and all the gumbo pot heads where i'll be bringing you all the best music from louisiana new orleans the bayou with a little bit of delta blues thrown in for good measure so all you swamp rats grab your zydeco shoes meet me in the gumbo pot at high noon we always pass a good time chef peace love and zydeco Aye. Are you an aspiring author looking to get your book published? Look no further than Tech Time Publishing Company. At Tech Time, we specialize in bringing the best books to readers everywhere. Our team of experienced editors and designers work closely with authors to bring their stories to life, ensuring every book is of the highest quality. But that's not all. TechTime also offers a unique service to translate and narrate books and revenue sharing. This means that our talented team of translators and narrators will be compensated with a share of the book sales. So whether you're an author, translator, or narrator, TechTime is the place to be. Join our community of book lovers and let us help you bring your stories to the world. Visit our website today to learn more. That's TechTime.it. TechTime. .it. And if you're looking for a first-class Italian translator, check out Laura Squigna. It's spelled S-G-U-I-G-N-A. Laura Squigna, and you can find her on the Tech Time website under Translators.
Hi, I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. The world is dark enough. So we like to keep it fun and light. Join us for 30 minutes of fact-filled fun every week on the Off-Ramp Trivia Podcast. You'll hear fascinating facts about history, music, discovery, weird animals, and everything in between. Including little-known facts about well-known people. Each week, right here on The The Off-Ramp. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or visit us online at theofframp.show. Hey, let's uh, stay in Southern Illinois for a while and imagine dancing at a place when you were 12 years old in the late 1950s, then dancing there again in 2023. The place was called Teen Town, but now it's the Murfreesboro Senior Citizen Center. I spoke with Sandy Buller, who danced there in her youth and now directs that entire center. This building we're in right now, years ago, what did you do? This was used to be Teen Town when I was uh, 12 years old or 13, somewhere in there. Was, it was Teen Town, and we used to dance on the same floor that they're dancing on right now. That was the late 50s and early 60s. Yes, yes. And now, in 2022, you're dancing on that floor still. Yes, I don't dance on there, but yes, we do have a line dancing and dancer size, and we have a monthly uh, dance in the evening, and yes, it's the same dance floor. When you're here, do you sometimes think about the good old days? Yes, I do. I sure do. And when I see people dancing on it, I have to sort of smile because it's been a long time, you know, that we see uh, people dancing on that, knowing that I used to dance on that when I was a young young child, actually, 12 years old. So, Wow. Okay, so now you're the director of what is now the Senior Citizens Center, where the 12-year-olds have grown up into their 70s and 80s. Now, baby boomers technically are just after World War II until 1964. This is the range where they were born. How are you doing with baby boomers? Because I have talked to several people, and there have been some national news articles about baby boomers not wanting to go to senior citizen centers because the senior citizen centers didn't have uh, what they wanted. Uh, Are you having a problem like that here? No. No, we've got, of course, we got the meals, and we got all the line dancing and the dancer size, and people are coming in to dance, to exercise, and to eat. I don't think we have any problem at all. I think we have like 231 or 32 members here. A lot of them are in their 70s and 80 years old. So I don't think we have. Some of them are actually in their late 60s. And we play bingo and they play cards. And we have two two groups of men that play cards. And they seem to really enjoy it in here. So I'm glad that they do. I'm glad we got people that like to come in here. I've come in, you know, several times for lunch, and most every time I've seen people sitting there playing cards. Oh, yeah. They play cards here, um, let's see, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then we have another group that comes in on Monday and Wednesday. So they play cards here all the time. On Friday, we play bingo, and, um, and then the women play cards in the afternoon. So the men in the morning, the women in the afternoon. So I think we have a, a good selection of age group people in here. Actually, I enjoy seeing everybody that comes in here. Uh, I was at the Halloween dance, and I saw a lot of dancing on that stage. There was a lot of dancing on that stage. And we had a, a contest uh, uh, there with the costumes. And we had some very pretty people dressed up. And some of them were a little crazy, but... Most of them were really good costumes. I mean, they really have a really good imagination. It looked like most of the tables were full of diners. Uh, Yes, and uh, it's a potluck where you could bring your, you know, to share your food to share. And uh, everybody sits down and eats. And and we have a band from 6 to 9, and they get up there and... I love watching them dance. You could tell some of them have danced years together. And so um, I really enjoy watching them. Wish I could do it. I talked with one of the band members, and uh, he gave me his album, and I played some of it on the program. It's it's all about Southern Illinois. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a song where it, where it starts out with, have you ever been to Carbondale? So I played that. What I've noticed between the senior citizen centers, 
I'd been to the West Frankfurt, Carbondale, Marion, and this one. They're all completely different from each other, run differently. One of the things that distinguishes this Senior Citizen Center from the others is that you have a shop. Yes, we have a resale shop here, and that does bring a lot of people in here. And I love going in there. I find a lot of good bargains back there. And, uh, but it does bring a lot of people into our center. And a lot of the dancers, when they get finished dancing, they'll go back there and shop. So, you know, it's, it's actually really, really good. I did some shopping, and I bought uh, some business clothes, really high-quality business clothes. And it was like $2 a shirt. Yeah, and, you know, I loved watching QVC. And the thing about it is, is a lot of times I go back there, and I know the brands from QVC, and they're, they're back there in the resale shop. And I thought, I don't have to pay that big price on QVC because I could get it at the resale shop for $2. <laughs> yeah, that's a good deal. And particularly for me, I'm, I'm now living on Social Security, and that's enough to live on, but I certainly don't want to pay $50 for a dress shirt or 100 or whatever they're charging now. I don't either. And so, you know... Uh, of course, I'm married, and my husband's got a good retirement, but uh, I still, you know, don't like, especially since I've been up here, and, um, and I still watch QVC, but when I look at QVC now, I think, I bet you they got something similar to that at the resale shop, and they usually do. What a bargain. Being in charge of this place, how long you've been here as the manager and what um, prompted you to work in this position? Because I, I would think that it could be frustrating at times. It's very frustrating at times. Um, I started out in my 50s here on the council, and then I became vice president, and not thinking that one day I would be the director here. I never didn't even dawn on me. I just figured the person who was here before me would stay. And I didn't realize that one day I would be here. Uh, and it took me a minute or two to adjust to it. In fact, I couldn't even come into this office for a while. And then we rearranged some of the things in the office, and it, just, it came where it became mine, and, so, and not the previous director. And that helped a lot. Like, this was not here. This was in the other room. You mean the council uh, with your uh, yeah, your the computer? computer and all this was in the other room, which is the room I was usually in. And uh, so we just traded stuff around, and it basically became mine then. And now I'm sort of used to it, but if anybody ever wanted to take over, they can. <laughs> now, you're obviously past retirement age. You, you really don't have to do anything um, why do you do this? For the exercise, the walk back and forth. I have, uh, I, I, say this. I have multiple sclerosis, and the walking back and forth from the resale shop to the front has been a big help for me to keep usage of my legs. And that's basically why I do it. Just, just to walk back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that has really helped me keep the use of my legs. I was talking to a trainer, Alexis, over at Planet Fitness. That's where I work out. And she trains a lot of elderly people. And she says the same thing. It's important to keep mobile. That's true. That's absolutely true. I have did uh, physical therapy. I just walk, walk back and forth-ish. But a lot of times I'll just do it like even to take one letter and bring it up there and come back and get another just so I could be walking back and forth. And going from the resale shop all the way to the front is a good distance, and that really has helped me a lot. But aside from the exercise, are there other reasons why you enjoy being in charge of the center? No. So, so really it's just for the exercise? No, I really like the people. I love the people that work here. I wouldn't trade any of them for, for nothing. And I love the people that come in. And we're getting more and more people that... <clears throat> and that's Sandy Buehler, who uh, runs the Murfreesboro um, Senior Center, talking about her experiences. Now let's go back to a time that we might have had some experience with uh, when we were children. 
I'm talking about maybe watching the early show on TV and seeing some old movie. And maybe you remember that movie just vaguely, and maybe you want to see it again now that uh, I've called attention. Let's go back, all the way back to 1949. We're going to go back in the past to 1949. We're going to go to London, and there's a gentleman in London, an American, and he's just leaving a haberdasher. This is in London, England. I, I hope you enjoyed the hat, Mr. Stobel, and a pleasant voyage home to you. Well, thank you. I'd like to thank you for something else, too. Well, back home, I'd buy a hat in five minutes. Thank you for a most enjoyable hour and uh, 40 minutes. It was a pleasure. Come back soon, Mr. Stobel. Goodbye, son. Harvey Stobel was what is known as a retread. He was a World War I veteran who fought with the Army Air Corps, and then he uh, joined the Army again in World War II, and he was called a retread. He didn't fly in World War II, he flew a desk. Anyway, he's wearing his new hat and he's looking at the reflection in a shop window and then he sees something and it shocks him. So he goes in and confronts the proprietor of the shop who pulls out this item and shows it to him. Where'd you get this? An auction at Archbury, sir. I'll take it. That one's been knocked around a bit, sir. I have a fine staff. It's no, 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 no. I'll, uh, I'll take this one. How much? Only ten shillings, sir. I'm afraid it's not much value. Value? I want you to pack it carefully. Very carefully. As you say, sir. Dean Jagger plays Harvey Stovall, and he's on a train now, and he has this well wrapped package and in it is what is known as a toby mug it's an ugly looking mug uh that's all beaten up but he's cradling it in his arms and his new hat is forgotten train pulls into the station and through the window you can say the name of the station as archberry he's out in the country now He rented a bicycle, and he is cycling around the corner amidst beautiful pasture land on a very sunny afternoon in 1949. And in the basket at the front of his bicycle is that package with the Toby jar in it. Soon he pulls up to a fence. And the fence is broken down and he crawls over it and walks the length of the pasture. It's clear he's thinking. He stops a few times to polish his glasses. But there's something really on his mind, you can tell by just looking at him. And then you see what he was thinking about. He's standing at a runway, at a runway of an airbase, a World War II airbase that had been closed for four years. And now he starts remembering. He remembers the officers' club with the singing. He sees the old control tower that's all boarded up. The wind sock, without the sock in it, it's pretty much gone. The wind tee that's collapsed and the stones that make out the name of the airbase, Archberry. He does some walking and goes to an area where airplanes ran up. These were big airplanes, four-engine bombers, B-17s. The men who were singing flew in those bombers. He puts his foot on a grease spot and moves it around a little. Harvey stares out at the beautiful sunny sky of springtime England in 1949, but he's not 1949 anymore. He's in 1942. 
during a time that was so dangerous for American troops that nearly half of them died. He's listening carefully, listening to time. That's the sound of an engine on the B-17. Three more have to start. He looks down and looks up at the sky, and soon he's in 1942. And the airplanes come in for a landing. This is the story of 12 o'clock high, and it concerns one of the most difficult times in American history, World War II. The first soldiers, American soldiers in World War II, to fight in England and in Europe were flyers. The average flyer was about 20 years of age, and even for these young men, the effects of flying very long missions under extreme cold, the constant hum and vibration, and being exposed to enemy fighters in flak resulted in unusual stress that sometimes resulted in a breakdown. That's what happened in the fictitious 918 bombardment group. In the early years of the war, crews were required to fly 25 and later 30 and then 35 missions before they returned to the United States. At the beginning of the war, all a soldier could expect to make was 20. He was on borrowed time on the 21st mission. What happened in 12 o'clock high is that the commanding officer of the group broke down. He flew along with all the other soldiers. Because he flew with the other soldiers, he had the same stresses as other soldiers in the, in the group. He also had to answer to the commanding officer. That was a general. So he was pulled from both ends. One end was more productive. Let's get more bombing missions under our belts. And the other one was watching over his crews and watching over himself. 12 o'clock high started out with a brigadier general taking over the 918th Bombardment Group. The air exec, that was the second in command, didn't seem to have been helping matters any at all. So General Savage, played by Gregory Peck, has this conversation with the air exec. You're the son of Lieutenant General Tom Gately, aren't you? I believe that's my standard identification, sir. What do you think of him as an officer? None better, sir. That's right. You're the son of one fine officer and the grandson of another. You're a graduate of West Point with nine years' service. Your Form 5 shows that you have more four-engine time than any man in the group. For those reasons, you could have done more than anybody to take the load off Colonel Davenport. The record shows that you've flown only three missions since you've been here. Is that right? If you don't count twice, I turn back, sir. I take it that you don't even care about the part you had in breaking one of the best men you'll ever know. Add to it, as air exec, you were automatically in command here the moment Colonel Davenport left. And you met that responsibility exactly as you met his need. You ran out on it. You left the station to get drunk. Gately, as far as I'm concerned, you're yellow. A traitor to yourself, to this group, to the uniform you wear. It would be the easiest course for me to transfer you out. To saddle some unsuspecting guy with a deadbeat. Maybe you think that's what you're going to get out of this. A free ride in some combat unit. But I'm not going to pass the buck. I'm going to keep you right here. I hate a man like you so much that I'm going to get your head down in the mud and trample it. I'm going to make you wish you'd never been born. If that's all, sir. I'm just getting started. You're going to stay right here and get a belly full of flying. You're going to make every mission. You're not air exec anymore. You're just an airplane commander. And I want you to paint this name on the nose of your ship. 
leper colony. Because in it, you're going to get every dead beat in the outfit. Every man with a penchant for head colds. If there's a bombardier who can't hit his plate with his fork, you get him. If there's a navigator who can't find the men's room, you get him. Because you rate him. Is that clear, General Savage? I have a right to file charges against you for personal abuse and exceeding your lawful authority. And no, I get me Pine Tree. I want General Pritchard. Mine's busy, sir. Will you wait? Yeah, I'll wait. Right, Gately. You've got a right to explain to General Pritchard cowardice, desertion of your post, a yellow streak a mile wide. And maybe he can explain it to your father so that they'll both be proud of you. You can tell him right now. Twelve o'clock high. The theme, how much can a man give? When the U.S. 8th Army Air Force 918th Bombardment Group is ordered on their fourth harrowing mission in four hard days, Brigadier General Frank Savage, Gregory Peck, demands maximum effort. The bombers are forced to fly lower, to fly farther, and to test themselves, overspent and fatigued, right up until death's door. When their dedicated colonel speaks out in their behalf, well, he's relieved of command. Twelve o'clock high, 1949, a lot of people forget what kind of a tragedy World War II was. And that wraps up OK Boomer for today. I'd like to thank Sharon Lawless, Bob Smith, and Marcia Smith, Roger Ramjet, Beverly Schofstall, and Janice Paul. Up next week, Bob Smith will have a special program about Dwight Eisenhower, somebody who was around just as I was born. That'll be next time on OK Boomer. I'm Robert Rickman.